0: Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Arctic Dialogue 2014, a collaboration of the University of Nordland, the High North Center, and the Arctic Institute. We're speaking with attendees and speakers about their work, the Arctic Dialogue Conference, and the conference's theme of Arctic resources. Thanks for joining us. I'm Kevin Casey. Today we're talking with Lily Ostrang, a political scientist specializing in international affairs focusing on the polar regions, ocean affairs, and international security. Willie is the president of the Norwegian Scientific Academy for Polar Research. Formerly, he served as the executive director of the Fridtjof Nansen Institute in Norway and the scientific director of the Center for Advanced Studies at the Norwegian Academy of Science and Letters. Willie, thanks for joining us today. Can I ask you to start by telling us about your current work as it relates to the Arctic and your plans for the near-term future?
1: Yes, I've just uh, uh, released two books. One, um, and it's, uh, it's on shipping in Arctic waters, a comparison of the northeast, northwest, and transpolar passages. And this work I've done together with colleagues, and I was the um, project manager of, of the study. And it's an interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary study trying to address all aspects involved in shipping uh, in, in ice-infested waters. That means politics, um, uh, uh, all kinds of natural features, uh, international law, governance, uh, technology, uh, sea ice, etc., Etc., military security, etc. So that's one. And the other one, the other book is more theoretical, methodological. Uh, and I call the book Science Without Boundaries The Interdisciplinarity in Research, Society, and Politics. And here I use uh, polar research to illustrate the more theoretical, methodological aspects. Uh, involved in trying to forge a holistic picture of reality, and I think uh, I think it's important to address uh, the interdisciplinary aspects of polar research because um, I think if you address it in a traditional disciplinary way, we may do harm to this very unique environment and these unique waters that we are talking to. And this is also a kind of follow-up on uh, uh, the interdisciplinary and multidisciplinary tradition of polar research. So that's what I'm doing for the time being, and I think I will continue doing uh, research in, in those two directions.
0: Well, it's certainly very interesting and timely research. I particularly appreciate your focus on interdisciplinarity in the Arctic. So many of the issues in the region bleed over between the traditional disciplines of science and policy, so that it's really required that we take a multidisciplinary approach to dealing with them.
1: Yeah, and I think also it's important because we are all educated and we have graduated from university as specialists within our respective disciplines, and to break down or to bridge between disciplines is important to, 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 to form a more f- holistic
0: picture of
1: developments.
0: In terms of your own career, what's the most unexpected turn that you've taken on the path to your current position?
1: Well, I, I think that um, simply because uh, the developments in the Arctic are driven by societal organizations, industry, governments, etc. It's important for the scientific community to produce uh, um, uh, knowledge of utility for those that's driving the developments. And that means applied research. And that I have been doing for the last 30 years, not least as director of the Friedhof nansen Institute. But when I quit there and, and, and took upon the position as scientific director of Center for Advanced Study, which was an organization dealing with the more theoretical basic research, uh, it occurred to me um, that um, there are only actually two kinds of research. It's applied research. Applied in the short term, and non, non yet applied, not yet applied research, which we applied in the longer term. So I think that to a certain extent, the concept of basic research, um, is what I would now call not yet applied research, because all kinds of knowledge production will be of utility and will be useful
0: in the long term. Yes, that's interesting. We often make that distinction between applied and not applied research, and that obviously carries a value judgment about how useful we see different lines of effort. But it's it's good to remember that even if it's not applied now, that doesn't mean that the knowledge that it generates can't be applied in the future. Exactly, exactly. Can you tell me how you see your work contributing to a better Arctic, whatever that might mean to you?
1: Well, first and foremost, I think that all kinds of knowledge production related to this region is a contribution to a a more sustained development of the Arctic. The the requirement of sustainability is important in these fragile parts of, of the world. And I think that the address, geographically speaking, should now be more and more on the Arctic Ocean and the seabed because that's where the international community will meet uh, and and utilize the resources uh, more intensively. Because already uh, there is a resource utilization taking place in in various parts of the land territories of the Arctic. So the focus should now be on Arctic waters. And that's also where my research is being directed.
0: In terms of Arctic policy and science issues, what should people be discussing that they aren't necessarily discussing right now?
1: Well, I think that we are talking about uh, most of the involved and relevant questions. But I think that um, we haven't discussed in any detail yet uh, the law of the sea as applied to ice-covered waters. It should be remembered that ANCLOS uh, was developed for blue ocean conditions and for blue ocean areas. There is only one exception, and that's Article 234. Uh, so when we when one in the Ilulisat declaration said that all the arctic states at least not least the literary states to the Arctic Ocean, they are of the opinion to this uh, to that the law of the sea as applying to the blue waters should also apply to uh, to icing co- uh, ice covered waters That's that's interesting in itself and of course uh there is a lot uh in antholes that can be applied to arctic waters but there are there are also the specificities of the arctic uh, of the arctic and not least the ice makes us um require us to discuss in more detail some of the consequences of this for instance there are there are in, uh, um, um Uh, legal uh, reasoning saying that the sea of the ice implies that from time to time um, for instance the northern sea route will extend up to the north Pole, and this has to do with the fact that shipping in ice infested waters cannot always plan to keep within uh, coastal waters when going through but has to find leave its way through ice flows. And that may mean also outside of the 200 nautical miles economic sound. These kinds of questions have to be addressed. If not, we are up to potential conflicts in the future.
0: What do you see as the value of events like Arctic Dialogue? Uh, Why do you take the time and spend the money to come to an event like Arctic Dialogue?
1: But first and foremost, simply because this is a meeting ground between uh, academics doing polar research and societal organizations involving themselves in the Arctic. And to break down uh, the barrier between those two societal uh, factors is important in itself because... You have to meet in order to convey your own insight to those that have decided to go into the Arctic, for instance, to to mine uh, resources or to transport them. So this is important in itself that society, society, organizations meet with science in this respect that may a uh, course, uh, uh, very um, good alliances in order to secure sustainable development. That's the one thing. The other one is, of course, that this is also an educational conference where young polar scientists um, will meet across borders and hopefully to form networks that can be utilized in the future to to create international uh, scientific cooperation, even better than we have today. And of course, then it's also uh, an educational benefit for these young researchers to take part in this kind of, of conferences, because this is a conference that is basically oriented to meet the needs of young researchers in an international context.
0: You've touched on this briefly already, uh, but the theme of this year's Arctic Dialogue is resources. What comes to mind for you when you think of the Arctic's resources and the development of the Arctic's resources?
1: of course, sustainable development. Environmental protection is absolutely mandatory in this respect because this is a fragile area and we have little uh, experience in operating effectively and and with as little environmental harm as possible in in, in this area. Uh, It has to do with adequate governance. It has to do with utilization to development of utilization technology that's not so harmful to the environment and that can operate effectively uh, in in the area. Uh, It has to do with uh, surveillance and and, uh, rescue. So, um, talking about resource and resource development raises the whole questions of, of a, whole, a whole series of questions um, that is relevant to make resource exploitation and transportation as secure as a, a secure matter as possible as humanly possible.
0: Well, and that brings us back to the interdisciplinarity discussion because to develop ways. To develop these resources sustainably, you have to bring in the scientific community. You have to bring in policymakers. You have exactly. to uh, bring in industry to make sure you have everyone at the table. Yeah. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion in the media regarding development of Arctic's resources lately. Do you think that the topic is overhyped in the media? Uh, do you think that the development of the Arctic's resources may happen slower? than we thought it would maybe three or four years ago?
1: If the resource development is overhyped, well, yes and no. Uh, It's not overhyped in that utilization and mining of various kinds of resources, oil and gas included, has already for years uh, been conducted on land. And it's now also being conducted in the ice-free parts of the Arctic Ocean, for instance, in in the Barents Sea. Um, slowly but gradually, it will also comprise the rest of the Arctic Ocean. It's already it has already started, and um, and uh, in my mind, if you look at the policy declarations of of the involved governments there are no governments that are not in to start um, utilizing and exploiting these resources so it will come and it will it will grow gradually over the years to come Uh, but it will take time not least when it comes uh, to the continental shelf exploiting or uh, exploration and exploitation of oil and gas on the shelf. This is so because the ice is still a problem. Although we have global warming and the ice front is uh, is uh, retrieving northward uh, towards uh, the North Pole, still there is there are ice in this area, and the technology uh, uh, is there, but over very young arctic generation it has to be improved in order to withstand drifting ice icebergs that sort of thing so it will become but it will take more time than two three years from now
0: well thank you again for taking the time to talk with us today and i look forward to seeing you at the upcoming Arctic dialogue likewise thanks for joining us for this podcast Follow along with the series on iTunes or at our website, thearcticinstitute.org. The music you heard at the beginning and end comes from Heber Zephyrin and can be found at ccmixter.org.